You're listening to Shalise's Podcast. All right. Well, Father, I thank you for this brand new series called Love School. And I thank you that this is a core message, Father. This is a core teaching. This is a core principle. It's a core way of life for those of us that uh, follow Jesus. Thank you that as new creations, Father, we have been recreated in Christ for good works. And I thank you that all of those good works that you've created us to do flow out of a character and a disposition and a nature of love. Thank you that love is the point. Thank you that love is the thing that transforms us, that we are renewing our mind too, that when scripture says that we are to be conformed, that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Uh, we are being conformed to his mind and his heart. I thank you that that means that we are being conformed to the image of agape love. And so, Father, we we want to hear from you today. We want to experience agape love. We want to uh, emulate and vibrate agape love, Father, um, so that we can not only experience just how loved we are, but Father, we can be a conduit of your love here on the planet. Thank you that love never fails. Thank you that it heals, that it is the, <clears throat> the best, most highest way of living. And so Father, we just yield. We yield to what you're speaking to us. We yield to uh, the instruction of the Holy Spirit today. Uh, speak through me today, Lord. Think thoughts through me today. I yield as a, as a living sacrifice to you. And I thank you, Father, for the life-transforming impartation of love that is going to be radiating from this broadcast today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, awesome, you guys. I am really excited about this new series and it's a topic that has been on my heart for a while. In fact, the title Love School is something that I've been kind of sitting with uh, for several months at this point, just thinking about, you know, how do I help us grow and mature as followers of Jesus? How do I help us live from a place where we are unconditionally loved and living out of a place of non-judgment towards ourselves so that we can actually love other people the way that we are loved. And so this topic is, I guess, the most important topic that we're ever going to really study in our lives. You know, the whole point, the whole purpose of life is love. And we know the scriptures, right? It says that God is love. But I think so many times that core nature of God that motivates him, that uh, is the primary uh, thought that he has all of the time, it, it gets muddled up. It gets muddled up by religion. It gets muddled up by sin consciousness. It gets muddled up by uh, just a human being's, you know, seemingly non-ending focus on what is wrong <laughs> instead of what is right. And so I really believe that this is going to be a life-changing series for people because the, re the real core nature of God's love, uh, which is agape love, which is a Greek word for the God's kind of love, is that it is, that it is unconditional, meaning that it is not something that we earn. It's not something that we can mess up. It has no conditions around it, meaning it just is. And it is it is who God is. And we talk about unconditional love, or we may have heard about unconditional love and thought about God's being, love being unconditional, 
But I don't think that that's always how we experience it. And it's not always how we experience our relationship with ourselves. And it's definitely not the way we many times love others. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, just this, this kind of cycle of love, if you will. Uh, scripture tells us that we love because God first loved us. So let's go over to that scripture um, and let's just look at that one. And then I want to t dive into some more um, some more scriptures uh, that I think are going to highlight and help us really put our heads around um, how much we are loved and what that love looks like. So let me go first of all, let me pull a bit up in my scripture here. Okay, let's go first of all to 1 John 4. Okay, 1 John 4, 19 specifically. And I am going to read it uh, out of a couple of different translations. So 1 John 4, 19. Uh, I'm going to read it in the uh, mirror translation to start. Okay, it says this. Um, and I'm actually going to, well, you know, 1 John 4, uh, 19 says, we love because he first loves us, or we love because he first loved us. And so I want to back up for a moment to 1 John 4, 18, and I want to read it because it kind of ties into this whole concept of we, us being loved first, that love flows from the place of being loved. Okay. So if we are going to love at all, if we're going to, uh, emulate the love of God in our lives and be a conduit for the love of God to flow through our lives, then the foundation of that is recognizing that we are loved. And so uh, I want to talk about 418 here for a moment too, because here it talks about what can't, what cannot coexist in the presence of love. Okay. In the mirror translation, here's what it says. It says, fear cannot coexist in this love realm. The perfect love union that we are talking about expels fear. Fear holds on to an expectation of crisis and judgment, which brings separation and interprets it as due punishment. It echoes torment and it only registers in someone who does not yet realize the completeness of their love union. So, I wanted to start with the mirror translation because the mirror translation does such a beautiful job of communicating union with God. And I think whenever we, most of us think about love and we think about God's love for us, or we think about emulating God's love or being a channel for God's love, the lens that we look at it through is the lens that, you know, I'm always talking about. I just wrapped up a series about the union police because we look at every topic in our lives really through a, just by default, through a lens of separation. And we have to, if we're going to understand the love of God, we have to understand what our union with Jesus means about love. Okay, and I know this is the case for most of us, because how many of you have been at a wedding and read 1 Corinthians 13 or heard it read, right? Or you've studied 1 Corinthians 13, or frankly, you've read a lot of the things in the Bible, frankly, because what we do when we read 1 Corinthians 13 or we read um, scripture many times is we look at it like a list of things that we're supposed to do, right? 1 Corinthians 13, we all know it. It's a description of love, right? So if I go over and read it, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, I'll go over here in to 1 Corinthians 13. 
here in the mirror translation, just so we kind of get some context for it. But I'm pretty sure he's probably going to translate it the right way, but I'll still read it. Okay. Um, it says, verse three in first Corinthians 13, it says, love is not about defending a point of view. Even if I'm prepared to give away everything and I have to die a martyr's death, love does not have to prove itself by acts of supreme devotion or self-sacrifice. Verse four, it says, love is large in being passionate about life and relentlessly patient and bearing the offenses and injuries of others with kindness. Love is completely content and strives for nothing. Love has no desire to make others feel inferior and has no need to sing its own praises. Love is predictable and does not behave out of character. Love is not ambitious. Love is not spiteful and gets no mileage out of another's mistakes. It bears no record of wrongs. Love sees no joy in injustice. Love delights. Love's delight is in everything that truth celebrates. Verse seven, love is a fortress where everyone feels protected rather than exposed. Love's persuasion is persistent. Love believes. Love never loses hope and always remains constant in contradiction. Verse eight, love never loses its altitude. Prophecies will cease. Tongues will pause. The quest for knowledge will be inappropriate when perfection is grasped. What we perceived in prophetic glimpses is now concluded in completeness. When I was an infant, I spoke infant gibberish with the mind of an infant. My reasoning was also typical of an infant. How it all changed when I became a grown-up. I'm an infant no more. There was a time of suspense when everything we saw was merely mirrored in the prophetic word like an enigma. But then I gazed face to face that I may know me even as I have always been known. Now every uh, now persuasion and every pleasurable expectation is completed in agape. Faith, hope, and love are in seamless union. Agape is the, is the uh, superlative of everything faith and hope always knew to be true about me. Love defines my eternal moment. Now this is not traditional translation that most of us read 1 Corinthians 13 in. Uh, we normally list, right? It, this is beautiful, by the way, but it normally lists out as, you know, like these different characteristics. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long suffering, right? We just, we kind of read these lists of characteristics. What I love about the mirror translation is, first of all, it kind of expounds on that. But if we're honest, we also look at it like a list of to do's that we're supposed to do. And we look at it from a lens of separation, like God is love over here, you know, and I'm over here apart from God, and I'm supposed to mirror God. I'm supposed to act like God. And so I'm going to try to be patient. I'm going to try to be kind. I'm going to try to, you know, have the fruit of the spirit, right? And the problem with that is, is that it's, it's just steeped in separation. It's steeped in a religious list of things that we have to do in order to be love, right? In order to be like God. But the first thing, if we're going to talk about love schools, we have to recognize that union is the key here. Union is the place that we abide. It is our nature. It is our character. It is uh, the who we actually are. Okay. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. He that has been joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the spirit of love. Christ is in us. Love is in us. And that's the hope of glory. And so the first thing that we need to do if we're going to really study God's love and be a student of God's love is that we have to realize this is something that we already have. 
And that the reason why God has recreated us in Christ to live in union with him is because we would know just by the very nature of the cross and what Jesus has accomplished, what God's love looks like and the price that was paid for us because we're so lovable and because we're so valuable. And that God doesn't, when he looks at us, he does not see sin. He does not see, uh, he does not have sin consciousness when he looks at us. When he looks at us, he looks at himself and his agenda, we'll talk about that scripture in a little bit more, but his agenda is love. His motivation is love. For God so loved the world, the reason Jesus became human, the reason the incarnation happened was because of his great love for us, his great love for human beings, his great love for all that he has created. And love is not something that we do like a to-do list. Love is something that we be. It is the core of our being. And until we really get how incredibly unconditionally loved we are, we will, we will struggle with this until we get that we are one with love, one with perfect love, one with agape love. We will think that love is something that we have to do instead of something that we receive and something that out of that fullness of being loved uh, unconditionally by God, that that very nature of God's love begins to flow through us. It's a revelation. Love is a revelation. It is a, it is more than a feeling, but it absolutely is a feeling. It's an experience. It's an experience of being fully accepted without condition. We have been accepted into God. We have been grafted into Christ. And there are not conditions upon that, except that we actually know it. Right. When we hear the gospel, it is a message of God's love. It is a message of God's acceptance. It's a it's a, a message of reconciliation where God reconciled us to himself. And you guys have heard me teach on that so much out of, you know, Colossians chapter one and how, you know, God was in Christ reconciling the world, reconciling the cosmos to himself. And this is all motivated by love so that we will get a revelation that we are loved and fear and separation and religion and performance and striving. And frankly, all of the other works of the flesh, right, are swallowed up in that there's nothing left to do. There's nothing left besides the cross, which has already been done for us to perpetually exist in the state of loved. Okay. We are loved. Okay. It is a past tense. It is unchangeable. It is eternal. And there is nothing that we can do to mess it up. There was nothing we could do to earn it in the first place. And there's nothing that we can do to stop it. When God's love, when we say that God's love is unconditional, you know, this word unconditional is not a word that I think that we really sit with a whole lot. And if the truth be told, you know, we don't, we don't experience unconditional love. We don't experience love from God unconditionally most of the time. We don't, we definitely don't consider, uh, don't experience unconditional love for ourselves. Most of us have a very judgmental, judgmental, self-critical relationship with ourselves. And because of that, we end up having a very judgmental and, and, and critical relationship with others because, um, because this is the way that we've, we've been raised. We've been raised in a performance driven system. We've been, we've been driven by, um, performing for love, performing to be accepted. And the premise that we are acceptable to God unconditionally 
really just spits in the face of religion because religion is based in judgment and judgment is based in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so if we are going to even begin to have a conversation about love and about what God's love looks like, about what God's love is so that we can actually accept it ourselves, then we need to understand that it has nothing to do with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? This isn't love that's based on, you know, you doing good and love that's withheld when you do something bad, okay? It is not a judgment-based love. It is a judgment-free love. And what that means is, is that there's nothing that you or I do to be loved. We, we are loved because Jesus made himself one with us through the cross, through the, his death, through his burial, through his resurrection and ascension. He recreated us to be seated in the place where that the throne where love rules. Love rules. Love is the ruling force of the universe. It is a person. His name is Jesus, but it is a, it is a frequency. It is a vibration and it is unconditional. And the, the, the problem with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that it's just been so programmed into us, you guys. And we have developed a conditional relationship with God. We have developed a conditional relationship with ourselves. And we have, we have developed conditional relationships with others based upon this. <clears throat> In other words, it means where, where does guilt come from? Guilt, guilt comes from ways that we, we believe that we have, uh, that we're not worthy of love, right? We shame. It comes from hiding from love. We judge ourselves as conditionally lovable rather than just con unconditionally lovable. And religion just perpetuates this, right? We, 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 we step into a performance based way of living. And what is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, it's the place where we elevate right and wrong above love. It's where we begin to have a relationship with good and evil that is apart from Christ. And we see this, I mean, gosh, just be, get on social media for, you know, 30 minutes and start to watch the way that people treat each other on social media and how being right is such a motivation, right? We have to be, have the right interpretation of scripture. We have to have the right political, you know, opinions. We have to have uh, the right perspective on, on every, everything. I mean, people like and unlike things based upon their agreement with whatever is being presented. And so we have been programmed into this, like, you know, I'll put a heart on something if I really love it, you know, but this idea that love is earned by our behavior rather than love is just something that we are worthy of because God created us in his image. See, love esteems worth to others just because of its decision to esteem worth. And so God has declared us unconditionally loved because God is love and God loves unconditionally. So it is a perpetual state of being that is not based upon our behavior. And when we recognize that this is how God loves us, that it is not based on right and wrong, that it is not based on our performance, it's not based upon anything other than who God is then guess what happens? First of all, worship happens, right? Because we start to feel safe. We start to feel understood. We start to feel seen. We start to feel forgiven. We start to feel 
Oh my gosh, I have permission to not hate myself. I have permission to not reject myself. I have permission to accept myself the same way that God does unconditionally. And love and acceptance go hand in hand, you guys. You can't love someone without accepting them exactly as they are. And while we were yet sinners, meaning we were lost in the delusion of separation from God, we were alienated from God in our own minds. We were living in darkness, living in the ignorance of our own, um, of, of our unredeemed, of our redeemed identity and living in the darkness of the innocence that God had restored to mankind. When we were living in that, right, that is exactly when Christ died for us. So we were in darkness. We were living under the illusion that the law was where we would get life, that by performing for love is how we would achieve love. When we were in all of that darkness, that's exactly the darkness that Jesus stepped into to heal. And now we are living in a place of the state of perpetually being accepted and perpetually being loved. And what's so crazy about this is whenever you start to talk about the love of God as being unconditional, there is always that arises in our in our minds or you know arises in our consciousness this idea but yeah what about sin what about this that i did or what about this that other people did and we immediately it's almost like we can't even receive it we can't even hear it it's like there's cognitive dissonance involved in this conversation because unconditional love is not fair unconditional love does not seem right, right? No, we, 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 aren't, we aren't worthy of love. We start to argue about why we are not worthy or love or why someone else is not worthy of love. We believe that sin or being wrong separates us from the love of God, separates us from fellowship with God, separates us from God. But the truth is separation is always an illusion. Self-righteousness is always an illusion. Being right apart from Christ is an impossibility. Being righteous apart from Jesus is an impossibility, which is what the law proved, that no one can be righteous. No one can be perfect apart from God. And perfect love is what makes us perfect. It's perfect love because it's the love that brings perfection. And that is what God has accomplished through Christ. He sees us as perfect all of the time regardless of how we're acting. And the truth is all sin, all wrong, if you want to put them in quotes, wrong behavior always, always comes from a delusional identity that is separated from God. Okay. Every accusation of the law is an accusation against a separated identity, right? Because as soon as you step into Christ, as soon as you step into union with God, Accusations fall away because Christ is innocent. And now because we're in him, we are innocent too. We have been restored to innocent. We are, we are declared not guilty of anything except righteousness and holiness and perfection. And it's not based on what we do. And the truth is we are addicted to performance. We're addicted to the law. We're addicted to right and wrong. We're addicted to sin consciousness. And you guys, self-consciousness is what Jesus absorbed. He absorbed a self apart from him on the cross. Self-consciousness is what happened at the fall. At self-consciousness is the result of a relationship with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It causes us to be, to look at ourselves apart from love, apart from God, and now begin to judge ourselves as wrong. 
And the gospel has been presented in such a distorted way. It has taught us that we are sinners, right? It has taught us that we are, and, and sin, by the way, I mean, when you believe that, when you believe that you are a sinner, what you believe is that there is something inherently wrong with me. And if you believe that there is something inherently wrong with you, you have a shame-based separated identity. Now, I have taught the gospel on so many of my podcasts as a message that predates the fall, right? Ephesians teaches this, Colossians teaches this, meaning that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, that God dwells outside of time. And so from his perspective, Christ was slain before the foundation of the world, which means if we were crucified with Christ, which we have been, it wasn't just something that happened 2000 years ago. It's something that happened outside of time before the foundation of the world, that we were in Christ before we were in Adam. We were in his heart. We were in his we were in Christ. We were in his love. We were chosen in love before the foundation of the world. But most of us don't hear the gospel that way. Most of us hear that we are the offspring of Adam. We don't hear that we were the offspring of Christ that then was deluded by Adam, right? That we live under this illusion of separation. No, we, 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 we take on this identity that I am rotten to the core, that I am a sinner, that I just have to live in this, that I have to live in a constant state of repentance and apologizing and feeling terrible and guilty for the things that I do because it separates me from God and his love. When the truth is we could never be separated from God and his love because it was an established fact from his perspective. He solved the fall before it ever happened because God lives outside of time. And so understanding that perspective, that original glory preceded original sin. In fact, original sin is not even in the Bible. You guys, that is not even a, a, a theology that even existed before around 400 BC. You guys, this whole idea that, that we were born into this horrible, corrupt, shameful existence is something that has been propagated by religion. The truth is we were born again before we knew it. We were born again before we were born. Yes, we must be born again, but that's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And when you grab the, the gospel as a message, as a proclamation that God has declared the man, the, the, the human race innocent, it will change the way that you relate to God. Now, I get that there is a lot of religious programming that resists this message, and that is okay. That's why you're here. That's why God sent you to this podcast. And it's also why I want you to hear me out because love, God's love is not predicated on anything that we have done that we will ever do. God's love is predicated on his choice. It's predicated on who he is. It is predicated on his understanding that we have been living in darkness, that we have been living under the delusion that began with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that we have been living under the illusion and the delusion of being separated from his love, from his perfect love that makes us perfect. And the truth is, you guys, when we get this, when we start to really get that God loves me unconditionally, that he's always loved me unconditionally, that that is who he is, and that he has fully accepted me into himself, that I am accepted in the beloved, that I am not rejected based upon anything that I could have ever done or will ever do, that this was a decision that he made. Romans 5 says that death entered the human race through one man and life entered the, the human race through one 
fallen man. Meaning that we weren't there. We didn't eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We didn't have any control over the decision that Adam made. And the truth is that our, our, our relationship with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, is the deception, is the darkness that has sat over the human race ever since it happened. And the darkness in front is, is just the deception. It's the deception that we are, we are separate from God. It is the deception that we are unredeemed, that we have a sin nature. And it has been programmed into us, but it is not the truth. The truth is you are loved unconditionally. You are accepted unconditionally. And when you begin to get a revelation of this, you know what happens? It confronts our relationship with the knowledge of good and evil. It confronts our performance. It confronts our critical nature or not our nature, but our critical habit of being critical of ourselves of being critical with others and judging others and ourselves worthy and unworthy of love based upon our performance, based upon what we do or don't do. And that is not the nature of love. In fact, it is the nature of sin. It is the nature of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this, this truth will set you free. You guys, this truth, but it will, it, before it sets you free, it is going to confront. It is going to confront religion. It is going to confront judgment. It is going to confront the gospel, frankly, that most of us have grown up with that says that, you know, we need to be sin conscious as a way to stay in right relationship with God and as a way to avoid sin. That if I'm, if I'm conscious of sin, if I'm conscious about what is wrong with me, that I can somehow in, in, in my own self control my badness, control my behavior in, in rather than operating in union with Jesus and in the fruit of the love, the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of love, which is self-control, meaning love begins to control us. Love is what's controlling us now. Love is what is maintaining our, our, the, the, the position of our heart and it's governing our thoughts. Sin consciousness could never do that. That's why, you know, Jesus perfected once everyone with one sacrifice. If you read Hebrews, it talks about how, you know, sacrifices were happening over and over again, but it never perfected the one that the sacrifices were for because it can't. Paying a price, punishing someone for, for their sins does not cleanse that person. It doesn't cleanse them of a sin nature. It doesn't cleanse them of anything. In fact, it holds them bondage to a system that can never produce love. And religion cannot produce love. Performance cannot produce love because love by its very nature is not earned. Love by its very nature is unconditional. So, Practically what this means is that we have to come to terms with that we are unconditionally loved by God, that no matter what we do, his love for us never changes. He, he loved us just as much before we knew the gospel as today when we know the gospel. And half of us don't even really know the gospel. We know what we've been taught, you know, and then he's going to love us just as much tomorrow when we have more revelation. You're never going to be more loved than you are right this very moment. And so when we abide in Christ, we're abiding in his love. We're abiding in his unconditional love and acceptance. And I will tell you what happens when you get this is that your roller coaster ride with God ends. You get off of 
this roller coaster ride where sometimes you feel close to God and sometimes you feel really far away from God. You get off this roller coaster ride in your relationship with yourself and you, you like yourself when, you know, you look a certain way or you meet, have certain, you know, goals met in your life. No. And you begin to say, like, I can't, I can't abuse myself that anymore, that anymore. That is not how God loves me. And that is not how I get, can treat myself. You know, the parts of us that act the worst, that, that motivate us to act out of the nature of love, frankly, are the ones that need the revelation. It's a part of us that needs the revelation of God's love the most. When we are at our worst, that's when unconditional love counts. That's when mercy and the forgiveness and all of the things that, that go with agape love count the most. You don't need, you know, unconditional love as much when, you, when you've judged yourself as being good, when you've judged yourself as performing well. No, you need it when you're at your worst. And here's what happens. Because we have not recognized God's unconditional love in our hearts and in our minds, we see ourselves separated from God. What happens is internally there's a division, right? So we live internally as an accuser and we live internally as the one that is accused. And so there is a division. We don't even have wholeness in and of ourselves. We aren't even in union with ourselves, much less God. We're at war with ourselves because on one side, all we can see is the, you know, the accuser's view, which is just always keeping a record of right and wrongs, which again is not love according to 1 Corinthians 13. But that's what we do. We keep a record of right and wrongs internally with ourselves. And then the part of us that is not living up to the standard that the accuser within us is, is telling us we must live up to feels condemned, feels guilty, feels ashamed. And this inner dialogue is what keeps us perpetually lost in darkness, ignorant of our redeemed identity and innocent. And so the truth is we have to say game over to being the accuser, game over to being the accused. We have to get out of the legal system altogether. We have to throw it out and we have to get into grace. We have to get into undeserved favor. We have to get into undeserved mercy, meaning it doesn't mean that I don't deserve it like I'm just unworthy. I'm just a, a you know, a worm in the mud. I just, I'm just not, I, I'm not valuable. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't just mean that I'm unworthy of that. It means that I am not able to be loved. I am not able to receive or experience love. Because I have judged myself as guilty. I have judged myself as unworthy. I've judged myself as, as separated from God. And so when we drop that, okay, when we drop that relationship with the law, with being the accused and being the accuser, guess what happens? Now we're confronted with accepting ourselves, accepting every part of ourselves accepting us the way that God has accepted us. And when we accept ourselves, guess what? We can accept who we are in Christ because who we are in Christ is fully accepted. And rejection is not something that we get to play God with. We don't get to reject ourselves and we don't get to reject other people. We don't get to judge ourselves and we don't get to judge other people. And the truth is to the extent that we play the judge in our own lives will be the extent that we play the judge in other lives and others lives. And we will think that that is the, the, the role that God is playing as well. 
Like he's Santa Claus and he's keeping a record of naughty and nice and checking it twice. And if he checks it twice and you've been a good little boy or a good little boy, then maybe he'll be worthy of a Christmas present, which is a blessing or a promise of God. God is not Santa Claus. God is Jesus Christ who paid the sin, paid the, the, the price for our sin consciousness. And sin consciousness has no place in love. If you go back to 1 John uh, 4.18, and you look at this from the concept of, of, of self-consciousness and sin consciousness, it starts to make sense. Okay, so if I go back to it, 418, it says this. It says, fear cannot coexist in this love realm. The perfect love union that we are talking about expels fear because fear holds on to an expectation of crisis and judgment. Okay, fear of judgment is what drives us when we are not fully persuaded that we are loved unconditionally. The fear of judgment causes us to hide. It causes shame. It causes, honestly, this own inner judgment game that we play because we believe that if we judge ourselves, we'll be protect, we'll be protected from other people's judgment. We'll be predicted from, we'll be protected from God's judgment. And so we play religious rules inside of ourselves to keep us right with God, to keep us loving ourselves, and to keep us acceptable to others. But here's the deal. That is a fear-driven game. It is a fear-driven way of being. And perfect love casts this out. The love of God, which makes us perfect, means we can drop the blame game. We can drop this game of accusation. We can drop this game of judgment. We can drop the fear of punishment. We can drop the dread of rejects, rejection. We can drop it and we can just receive the truth that we are unconditionally loved. Guess what? That game causes torment. And it says here, it echoes torment and only registers in someone who does not yet realize the completeness of their love union, right? And who is this love union with? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and frankly, with everybody else. We are not just one with God, but God has united the human race. He has created one new man. And there are only people in this one new man. There's only two kinds of people. People that know they're unconditionally loved and accepted by God and people that don't. That's the only kind of people that are on the planet, okay? We call them believers and unbelievers, but or we call them sinners and saints. But the truth is that everyone has been reconciled to God. And so the only thing that's left to do is accept it, is to realize it. And it will not only change the way that you see God, it will change the way that you see yourself, and it will change the way that you see other people. And the reason why we're able to love like this is because we have a revelation that that is how God first loved us. First John 4.19. So let me go up just to, let me go to a couple of different scriptures. Okay. Let me go over to Ephesians chapter five and five verse one. Um, it says this, it says, number one, mirror God, you are his offspring. This is how let the love of Christ be your life. Remember how he abandoned himself to us. His love is contagious, not reluctant, but extravagant. Sacrificial love pleases God like the sweet aroma of worship, right? So 
The love of Christ is to be our life. The love of Christ, which is unconditional, which is accepting of sinners, right? Which we, frankly, were only in our delusion, sinners in the first place. God accepts us in that delusion. And we are not more loved when we get it than when we we don't get it, right? No, love is, is, is eternal. Love is of outside of time. Love always was and is and will always be. And it is who God is. Okay, let's go to another place. Um, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, and again, I'm just reading in the mirror translation today uh, just because it's so good. But verse one says, listen to this, you guys. Agape is God's only agenda. Okay, other translations say make love your aim. But again, you can read those through a, you can read the scripture through a lens of separation, or you can read the lens through the, the, read the scriptures through the lens of union. And everything that, that the Bible describes as behavior of a, the behavior of a saint or the behavior of a believer is just shining the light on this is how love behaves. This is how being unconditionally springs forth contagiously out of your heart when you have a revelation of it, right? You, you Greed doesn't exist in people who is, are perfectly loved and have a revelation of that. Lust doesn't exist in, in, in people who have a revelation of how perfectly accepted and loved they are. Because when you are, when you are, when you are sure that you are perfectly loved and accepted, you don't have to strive for anything anymore. You don't have to work for anything anymore. You don't have to perform for anything anymore. You can just sit in the frequency of love. You can just sit in the place of I am totally and completely and utterly loved. And so is everyone else. And that is the revelation. And, and that is the point, you guys, of, of Jesus's mission. You know, when Jesus prayed in John 17, that we would be known by our love. You guys, this is the, this is the new creation. This is the transformation. This is the transfiguration. Because when we are conformed to the image of Jesus, we are conformed to the image of agape. We are conformed to the image of unconditional love. And the truth is in the world right now, guys, there has never been in my estimation, well, maybe I'm sure it's in every generation, but in my mind, there has never been a need greater than now for unconditional love. We are so separated on so many levels, not only in ourself, but with one another in the church, outside of the church. There are so many things that so many conditions that we have put on people being accepted and people being loved. And we have put the we have elevated the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to being the the source of love. And it is not the source of love. The source of love is God. And God is agape. That is his nature. That's who he is. And it is an unconditional, eternal, infinite love. And that love is who we are in union with Jesus. We are loved because he first loved us. And now we love God because we have a revelation of that. And we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And how is all of it? It's unconditional. So guys, welcome to Love School. We're going to keep on with this series 
diving deeper, deeper, deeper into what agape looks like. How do we drop the blame game? How do we love unconditionally? What about people that, you know, society rejects or the church rejects it, rejects? How do we begin to love people that we have judged or the church has judged or the world has judged is unlovely? Because God loves elder brothers. He loves religious people. He loves prodigals. He loves people that don't know who they are, that they're sons of God. He knows he loves equally. He loves perpetually and God's love heals us. God's love transforms us because it gives us permission to step into union with God. So God bless you guys. Be loved. Drop the blame game and allow yourselves to live in that place without fear, without fear of punishment, without, without torment and settle the score inside. Be loved. And from that place, I promise you'll begin to see others completely different and you'll fall in love with the human race just like God. So God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Shalise's podcast. This recording is, in part, made possible by our listeners. To partner with us, visit Shalise.com where you can donate and help us spread the good news of our unshakable union with Christ around the globe. You can also find a link there to download Shalise's book, The Path, for free. And if you're ready to discover the call of God on your life and the purpose he created you for, then visit us at Shalise.com and watch Shalise's free training, where you'll hear five keys to hearing God about your life purpose and transitioning into it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, don't forget, the world needs the Christ in you.